Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast, where we're committed to helping you know God, find freedom, discover your purpose, and make a difference. Let's get to today's message. Well, welcome, welcome. We are in this series called Pray First. It is week four, um, but uh, we do this series uh, uh, every year around this time, just kind of focusing on prayer and God's power that he's given us for this life. You guys know we're supposed to walk out this Christian life, not in our own strength, but in a power that God has given us. And prayer is one of those uh, most important things that we can do to connect with that relationship with God and see his power at work in our lives. And so we're focusing on it during this season because we're also doing 21 days of prayer, like Tim said. This is the last week, so if you've been... Uh, with us, we've been the last two weeks, we've been doing this. This week, we wrap up on the 26th, but like Tim said, there's a daily prayer focus and a video that gets posted every day. Uh, join us for that. Make prayer a priority in your life. That is our goal. That's why we do 21 days of prayer, uh, because first of all, 21 days, it takes 21 days to start a habit, and we all know that when we form our habits, our habits eventually form us, right? And so it's important that we make prayer a priority and a habit in our lives, and then also, uh, we, we have some things to help you through this season. So not only these, these videos, these daily videos for you, but we also have our Pray First guides, which, by the way, these are free for you. They're at the Connect Center. You can pick them up. Uh, if you've never had uh, anybody show you how to pray or even know what that looks like, these Pray First guides uh, are great because they give you models of how to pray. They give you verses to pray over specific topics. Uh, in fact, today's subject, you'll find some great verses in there, and I'll point to those here in just a moment. Now, you can get the Pray First guide, or you can download the Pray First app. Uh, the Pray First app is a little better because it actually goes with you everywhere. You don't have to carry this blue, uh, this blue booklet. It'll just be on your phone. And I love that the Pray First app also has music so that when you are taking time to pray and to pursue God in that relationship, you can play some music. It's got it right there for you. It couldn't be any easier. But the reason we're doing this, the reason we've got these resources, the reason there are Pray First wristbands that are free for you that you can pick up on your way out, I want you to remember. I want prayer to be a priority for you. In fact, I want prayer to become our first response and not our last resort. Because too many times we do what we do and then we make a mess of things or we give our best to it. And then we go, well, all we can do now is pray. The Bible says that we make plans, but it's God's will that, that prevails. And so what we need to do and what I'm encouraging you to do and what my hope for you is as your pastor is that prayer will become your first response. That we just make a decision right here and right now that we're going to get on board for God's best for us and what he has for us and we're going to do it first. Oh man, there's just a few of you guys awake today and that's all right. I'll take it. I'll take it. So that's what this series has been all about. We've been talking about prayer. In our first message, we talked about the priority of prayer and why why first things matter. That God de- he has to be first in everything. And so if you missed that message, go back and listen to why it's important to put God first. And then the last two weeks, we spent some time exploring some prayer models. When Jesus' disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us how to pray, he said, pray after this manner, or when you pray, pray like this, okay? And so he said, here, here's, here don't necessarily just say these words. Don't quote me, but, but this is a model for prayer. These are things you can be praying 
about. And so Jesus gave that model. So there are other models in Scripture. There's the tabernacle prayer, which I covered in week two. And then, la- then the, the last one I covered was the prayer of Jabez, which is a prayer that was prayed from a place of pain. And if you've ever been in pain and you want to pray a prayer that God will honor, learn that prayer of Jabez. And so if you missed those, all those are available. You can listen to our podcast wherever you get your podcast. Subscribe, and you'll be notified anytime that they are ready, or you can watch it online. All that is good. And if you're on social media, which I don't recommend, you can watch it there too. We're, we're on social media as well. But, uh, but, but we're, we're for sure there. You can watch those messages. Today, we're going to get a little into the, to the deep end of the pool, I guess we can call it, because uh, today I want to talk to you about spiritual warfare. Some of you are like, uh-oh, no, this is not for me. I'm going to check out. You're going to talk about that Holy Ghost, that Holy Spirit. And that kind of what scares me a little bit. I get you. I got you. But, but we need to talk about this. This actually wasn't originally part of the series that I was going to do, but I felt strongly that this was an important message for such a time as this that we are living in. Amen, everybody? And so we need to understand that prayer is not just communion with God. It is confronting hell as well. That's exactly what it is. And so we're going to go a little deeper today because I think that it's needed. Uh, now, this concept may be new to you, a spiritual warfare, but it is not new to your Bible. In fact, we find it all throughout. There's a description of a battle between the children of light and the children of darkness. This good versus evil is something that plays out through your Bible, God's kids versus God's enemies. In fact, there are, there are three places and that the Bible calls the heavens, and one of them is where this warfare plays out. But the first place is called the heavens. That's the sky, the clouds, and the stars the Bible talks about. Your second heavens is the heavenlies, which is where demonic activity and spiritual wars are waged. And then the last heaven that's mentioned is actually where God dwells. It's the place that we're going to spend eternity with him. That's the heaven. So there's the heavens, the heavenlies, and the heaven. We're going to focus on that second arena today. We're going to look where those spiritual wars and those battles take place. And I'm going to do my best to make a complex subject very, very simple. That's one of my great joys in life is to take something that, that is really hard to understand and make it simple. So let's get into it and get after it. I'm going to give you lots of verses, but the best example, if you're looking for a description of what spiritual warfare is, is given to us by the Apostle Paul. And he's writing to this church, uh, this letter called the Book of Ephesians, or this letter was written to this church at Ephesus, And in chapter 6, verse 10, he's closing out his letter, and he says to him, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. See, that's the call. We have to take a stand. We have to be able to do that. Otherwise, we are going to fall victim to his schemes. He says, for our struggle, I like this, is not against flesh and blood, So it's not against your mother-in-law, it's not against your neighbor, it's not against your co-worker or your ex, come on somebody, that's not your struggle, it's not flesh and blood. He says our struggles against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. He says, therefore, because that's our struggle, and we're not fighting a person here, let's put on some spiritual armor, the full armor of God. So that when, you say, Aaron, isn't this an if? No, it's a when. It's a when. Because that day is coming when the enemy will launch a full attack against you. You say, my God, Aaron, I need you to be more positive. Okay, I'm positive that day's coming. I'm positive. 
He said when, not if. So that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes with the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. and Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Paul is being very metaphorical, talking about these things as if they are actual pieces of armor that you put on. But if you think about what they represent, he wants you to put on a belt of truth. Why? Because a belt holds you together. In fact, I could use a belt today. I've lost 41 pounds, and these pants are falling off of me. Bless the Lord. <laughs> but a belt holds you together, and so does the truth. The truth holds you together. It makes sure that everything that can be shaken in your life cannot be shaken when you are standing on truth. It keeps you together. Paul talks about the breastplate of righteousness. Man, because righteousness is not our righteousness. It's not our right way of living. It's when we are in Christ. We have become new creation. We are in his righteousness, and that means we belong to him. Our hearts are covered. Our hearts are covered. He says, he also talked about, I'm not going to say this. this. This is just terrible. I'm going to tell you, we're not going to call them the feet shod with the preparation of the gospel. We're going to call them our peace kicks, y'all. Yeezys ain't got nothing on these, I'm telling you. These are some peace kicks. You know why you need some peace in your feet? So that when you are to go into battle and when you are to go into treacherous territory, you will go because you have a peace that transcends every bit of understanding. He says we need a shield of faith. Why? Because our faith is our trust in God. It's that we trust that the enemy's going to attack, but he will not prevail. No weapon formed against this brother is going to prosper. He said use a shield of faith. He said, put on the helmet of salvation so that no lie of the enemy will penetrate your mind. You'll know I am his and he is mine. I was bought with a price. I am not my own. I'm being a little preachy today. I'll back it off here in a minute, okay? And then he said, the sword of the spirit. The sword, too many of us use the sword, the sword of the spirit, which is God's word for our quiet time. It's our devotional time. Let me tell you something. It was meant to be in a battle. It was meant to be swung and to cut down the enemy. It is a sword of the spirit. It's God's word. Hmm. This is what Paul is saying. There's a battle, and there's a way that we can make it through this battle. And God has given us everything we need for that. Another verse on spiritual warfare, because I know that you want more. I know you do. Paul introduces a term the, that he, he uses, he calls a stronghold. Jesus talked about this as well in Luke 11, but he called it a strong man. But what's clear here as he's talking about it is we are in a fight. You say, well, I don't believe that we're in a fight, Pastor Aaron. That's okay. It doesn't make it go away. Your lack of belief does not cancel reality. I'm just sorry. That's just not how that works. But the, the verse says in 2 Corinthians 10, it says, for though we live in the world, we do not wage world, war as the world does. The weapons we fight with, which, by the way, are you fighting? He says the weapons we fight with, not that we're going to someday fight with, that the weapons that we might fight with, he says the weapons we, that's active. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Now, that word strongholds in the Greek, Greek is the word okaruma, which I, I'm, I'm, I'm butchering that for sure, but 
But it, initially, the, like the heart of it, what it means is, is someone who is chained, but that chain isn't actually strong enough to hold them down. They just think that it is. Ever seen an elephant in a circle? One of the things that are in a circle, in the circus, excuse me. I guess there is a big circle that they're in, but my goodness. I'll get it. Ever seen an elephant at the circus? They got like a rope around their ankle, right? And you know that the weight, the sheer weight of that elephant, if it decided to, could snap that rope. But the elephant believes that it is stuck. Because as a child, they put a chain around that elephant's ankle. And as a child, a chain is enough to keep it from going anywhere. And so the elephant learns that it can only go so far and it can only do so much that it cannot get free. So much so does it get ingrained in its brain that a rope will not hold an elephant that could easily snap it. This is a stronghold. This is what it means. We are, we're bound by something that can't hold us down. Mm, somebody's going to get free today, I'm just telling you. Doesn't have power like you think, but you're convinced otherwise. This could be our habits. This could be our addictions that we struggle with. This could be something that keeps showing up in our life. It's a generational thing that it's in me, it's in my kid, and it was in my dad too. Come on, somebody. Strongholds. Spiritual war isn't screaming at the devil. It's ultimately dealing with these things, dealing with the strongholds. So we are bound by what we wrongly believe. So what do we do? Well, Paul addresses that and answers that question about what we do with them. He says, we demolish, we demolish arguments and every pretension. Pause. Do you know what an argument is? See, you, if you know the truth, you can also argue for the other side. You ever heard somebody say, let me just be devil's advocate here? Right? They're going to argue the other side of the story. And when you have the truth, the other side of the story is a lie, by the way. And the enemy knows that, so he sets up arguments in the same way that he did with Eve in the garden for the original sin. He said, did God really say that to you? Did, did he really tell you not to eat of that? Did he really say you're going to die? You, he knows that if you eat this, you'll be just like him. Oh, he set up an argument. He set up a pretense. A pretense is every area that the enemy is pretending so he says, we demolish these lies, these arguments, and everywhere the devil is pretending, these pretensions that set themselves up against what? Against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Let me tell you something. The enemy will set you up with some lies. He'll set you up with some lies about your past. He will set, set you up with lies about the decisions that you have made, the relationships you've been in. He'll set you up with lies and labels that you will live under due to your background, your childhood, where you came from, the color of your skin. He will set you up with lies. And we live underneath these lies. And I work hard. I work hard as your pastor to dispel these lies. That's why I did a series this past or this summer of, of things Jesus didn't say. Because if we believe those lies, we don't live our lives rightly. We have to dispel these lies. We have to demolish these pretenses. Because I want you to have the full freedom and the life that Jesus paid for you to have. Now, I think there's too many of Christians walking around not experiencing it. I can't have you bound by strongholds. So I'm, I'm going to teach you how to destroy those strongholds. Let me give you two quick definitions of them. A stronghold is a prisoner locked by deception, living life by something that is not true. And that's the last thing I want for you. I want you free. Another definition says this, anything that exalts itself in our minds, pretending to be bigger or more powerful than our God. And there's all kinds of things that exalt itself over God's power. 
Now, let me be clear here. Spiritual warfare isn't a scene out of the movie The Exorcist, right? So we don't need to be scared of it at all. Spiritual warfare could simply be just showing up to church on a Sunday morning. And that during worship, we give ourselves fully to that moment, fully to our God. We throw up our hands. We sing the song. We confess his love. We confess his power. We confess his relationship in us. And we watch as the chains begin to fall off. I'm telling you something. I've gotten free Sunday mornings right here on this front row more times than I can mention because I come in carrying a burden. But I remember how big my God is. And all of a sudden, that stuff just starts falling off. That's what spiritual warfare can look like, guys. It's about getting our minds right. Worked for Paul and Silas. Paul and Silas were literally thrown into a dungeon. In fact, the story is really hilarious because they were brought brought there to the dungeon for preaching the gospel in Philippi, I believe. And and there, they they were told by the dungeon, hey, just put them in the dungeon. But this guy, he was sadistic. And he took them and put them in the inner dungeon, which means that they were in there in shackles and put in an uncomfortable position. It is likely that they were up to their, their, well, here, uh, in sewage, raw sewage, poo. That's what I'm talking about, in this inner dungeon. And as they're sitting there, you know what they're doing? They're posting on Facebook, I can't believe this happened again. (laughs) Hashtag unblessed. Hashtag looking for favor. Hashtag is that poo? No, they're not complaining. They're not wishing they were somewhere else. They've accepted their station and are celebrating their persecution and are worshiping God. And the Bible says that as they praised God at the midnight hour, that prison cell shook and the chains that had them bound fell off of them. It's good for Paul and Silas. It's good for me too. It'll work for you. We're oftentimes prisoners held by lies, pretenses. But today you can know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Here's how I know it's all lies. Jesus said this about the power the devil has over you. Says he was a, in John 8, 44, he says, He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, it's like he's breathing. He said he speaks his native language. That's all the devil can do is speak lies. He can't speak truth. For he is a liar and the father of lies. Do you know what happens when we believe a lie? Because, see, the liar doesn't actually have any power. You know that? We give our power to the liar when we believe the lie. When we believe the lie, we empower the liar. That's that's it. And so spiritual warfare, the job there, what we have to do is to expose the lie and replace it with the truth. It's that simple. If you're just looking at what it is, that's it. Let's expose the lie and replace it with the truth. You say, well, how how do I know? How do I know I'm struggling with a stronghold? I'll tell you how you know. The first way you know that you are stuck in a stronghold is that it steals your focus. It steals your, it's all you can focus on. It's all you can think about. It's the thing that constantly comes back to your mind. And because of that, you can't focus on healthy things. It distracts you, right? It keeps you stuck. This could be your addictions. This could be your habits. This could be the wounds of relationship. It could be the problems that you're struggling through. But whatever it is, it's stealing your focus. And as a result, it causes you to feel controlled. Oftentimes, we take on the identity of whatever our problem is. And we start to believe, well, I can't ever be or I can't ever do or I can't ever have. I can't ever. I can't, can't, can't because I'm stuck. The stronghold may be due to what you did, but understand you are not what you did. You are not the mistake that you made. 
As a result of feeling control, controlled, it consumes our emotional energy. We're exhausted. We feel increasingly hopeless. How in the world am I supposed to get out of this? And you don't know. You're worn out. And we're drained by buying into the narrative that stems from the lie. And it distracts us from our purpose, which, by the way, is the enemy's. That's his work. He does not want you tapped into your purpose. He does not care about your life. He cares about crushing your potential. He wants to crush your purpose. He wants to keep you from making a difference here in this world. And what he's ultimately doing is trying to rob us of the life God intended for us. Because as long as you are bound, you cannot live a full life or experience the freedom Jesus paid for you to have. So what do we do about it? What do we do? Well, I'm going to give you three lists today. And on each one of those lists, there are three things. So it's a, it's a, it's a, three, a list of three things on three lists. All right. The, the three... I don't know why I felt the need to repeat it, <laughs> but I did. It's done. It's out there. Can't bring it back. There are three realities you need to believe. There are three weapons you can use, and there's three things you can do every day. So here we go. Three realities you need to believe. The first one you need to believe is that the devil is real. Yeah, you got to believe that the devil is real. He's not a metaphor. He's not a story. He's not some guy in a red suit with horns and a pitchfork. That's not who he is. Because, see, if you can relegate him to that, if you can keep that image of him in your mind, then you've bought into the thing that it's just a fairy tale. It's a story. It's not real. And that's the greatest lie the devil ever told, is that he's not real, that he doesn't exist. What's sad to me is that studies have been done, and when polled, more than 60% of Christians say that there is not a literal devil. They just don't believe it. But let me tell you something. He doesn't disappear just because you, you've bought into a lie. He's an actual person. He's a fallen angel. He's pretending not to be, though. In 2 Corinthians, Paul said this in chapter 11, and no wonder for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. He's pretending. He's pretending. There are three angels that are named in Scripture. Gabriel, who was a messenger that God sent. Michael, who was oftentimes a warring angel. And that's where we, the scenario we see him. And then Lucifer, who was also the devil. Lucifer was over-worshipped. And in Isaiah 14, it tells you this story about him. But, but Lucifer ultimately wanted worship for himself. He said, I deserve this. I'm worthy of it. And so because he revolted, because he wanted to, he, he uh, exalted himself, he was prideful. It says that a war broke out in heaven, and it led to him being kicked out. Revelation chapter 12, verse 7, it says, Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. The dragon, by the way, is Satan. It says, But he was not strong enough, and you need to remember that. That the enemy, this dragon, this devil, the one we, we tend to be so scared of, he is not strong enough. And they lost their place in heaven, and the great dragon was hurled down, and the ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth, and his angels with him. That actually happened. That's a thing. It happened. There's no need to be scared of it, but you don't need to deny it either. It happened, and the devil and demons are real. Here's the second reality you need to believe, is that the devil's goal is to destroy us. That's his goal. It's not a fun fact about the devil, but it is true. That's what he wants to do. John 10.10 says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come, Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. He's here to destroy you. He's real. And he wants to take you out. And the third reality we need to grapple with is that the devil responds to a higher authority. I like this one. In that first verse I showed you, it talks about 
authorities and principalities and rulers. You know what those are? Those are that, that's a pecking order. That's a pecking order. There's people that are in charge here. And that means that the devil has some power, but he's not the highest power. There is a name that is above all names. There is a higher power than him. And in 1 John, he says, you, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you, because the Spirit of Christ dwells in you by the Holy Spirit, the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. So how do we get on and stay on the side of the one who is greater? We've got some weapons that we can use. We've got some weapons we can use to wage war. And the first weapon you can use, here's your second list of three, is the name of Jesus. I'm going to tell you, I've been in some pickles. I've been in difficult situations. I've been so terrified that I couldn't breathe or speak. And the only thing that I could get to come out of my lips was the name of Jesus. And let me tell you something, it is powerful. The circumstances that I face may not change, but I suddenly change. Like a, like, like a, a phone booth did for Clark Kent turning him into Superman. Speaking the name of Jesus, just, uh, I, you ever seen the movie Shazam? It's like, Shazam, boom, I'm, I'm like the super guy now, right? I'm just saying. And it doesn't have anything to do with me. It has to do with every bit of authority and power that is in that name. Luke 10 says, the 72, because Jesus sent out 72 he sent them out two by two to preach the gospel and heal people and cast out demons. He said, they returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. How did he see him? Because he was there. And Jesus tells the shortest story ever. Yep, Satan rebelled. God kicked him out. It was over. That's like the shortest movie ever, right? We didn't even get through the credits of Star Wars yet, and it's over. Ha <laughs> ha. By the way, the sequel ends just as quickly when the the devil comes up against Jesus again. But there was a revolt, and Jesus is like, I saw him fall. He said, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. See, you don't have to be scared. just need to speak the name of Jesus. Philippians 2.9 says, therefore, God exalted him, talking about Jesus, to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. So we're talking heaven, we're talking the earth, and we're talking about hell, right? He says, all those places and every tongue will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Authority matters. It matters. And the named authority in this world and beyond is Jesus. He is the name that is above every named authority. And, by the way, he's in your corner. Come on, somebody. Speak the name. Second weapon you can use is the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus. See, what Jesus paid for on the cross when he shed his blood was a new covenant that we entered into with God where we became his children, adopted into a spiritual family. We now belong to him. We were bought with a price. We are not our own. Adopted children into this family because of what Jesus did, and that's a powerful thing because the enemy needs to be reminded who he's messing with sometimes. He needs to know who you belong to. And the cross was the ultimate, the ultimate defeat of death, hell, and the grave. Oh, and captivity. Jesus, the Bible says that Jesus led captivity captive. By the way, that's the enemy. That's the devil. He's defeated. And in Revelation 12, verse 11, it says, They triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb. They're adopted into a spiritual family. Dad's got their back now. And the, by the word of their testimony. 
They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. And so we can plead the blood of Jesus. The enemy needs to know who we belong to, and we need to remind ourselves, right? Third weapon you can use is the word of God. Jesus did this. You know, every time he was attempted by the enemy, he used the word of God. He quoted scripture to the devil, actually spoke it to him. That's why I need you in your Bible. That's why I want you reading it so that you know what God says about you, what he promises you, what he has for your life. You need to know God's word so that you can stand your ground. It is your primary weapon. And Jesus, Jesus taught what he knew to his disciples. Jesus said, this is the path to winning the war. He said, fighting the devil and being free. He said, if you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciples. So, so if you follow me, if you do what I'm telling you to do, not just hear me, if you do it, live it out, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Your only offensive weapon that we've been given in that whole list of armor, the only weapon we were given was the sword of the Spirit. We've got to know how to use it because it's powerful. That's why you need to be in Scripture, not just in your quiet time. You need to use it as a weapon in your hand. And if you don't know Scripture or how to fight like this, guess what? In your Pray First Guides... On page 43, oh, there's warfare prayers right there. And there's topics and there's scriptures. And it'll teach you how to pray them. You have no excuses for why you cannot engage in this. We've given you everything. You can pray these kind of prayers. So we have three realities we need to believe. We have three weapons we can use. And there are three things we can do every day. And these are simple things, guys. Three things. First one is commit myself to God. And I do this every time I pray. I submit myself to God or commit myself to God. I give myself to him, yield myself to him. I submit myself to his way, to his will, whatever he's got for me for the day. That's what I do. Like, God, I'm yours. Do whatever you want with me today. Do whatever you want. If you've got kids, you understand this. My kids... <laughs> My kids, I want them to submit to my best for them. It's called obedience, by the way. I want them to obey. And if my children will obey me, they're all grown adults now, but, but if they would obey me, then they're walking out my best for their lives. And when they walk out my best for their lives through obedience, I can bless them. I can, I can support them. I can encourage them. I can supply them. I can fund them. I can fight for them. But when they step outside of my blessing, when they start acting of their own accord, doing what they want, disobedience, well, I can't bless that. It doesn't mean I love them any less. It doesn't mean that, that it has changed who they are to me because they're still my kids. They are dearly loved, but they've stepped outside of my blessing. And when they step outside of my blessing, well, they, they've got to experience the consequences of those choices that I can't protect them. I won't protect them from those things. I'll stand with them. I'll cry with them. I'll encourage them through it. But you know what? I can't protect them when they step outside of my blessing for them. They've got to experience those consequences. And God is the same way, guys. You want his power? You want his protection? You want his blessing, his provision, his peace, his joy? You want all those things? You need to submit to his way of doing things, guys. You have to submit. Your authority over the devil doesn't come from within you. It comes from the authority that you submit to. It's the same way, and you understand this on the job. If any of you have ever, ever worked in retail or, or worked in a place, it is your job to keep it clean, 
to make sure everything in there is safe and everybody in there is safe. It is your job to protect the place, right? And so therefore, when somebody's acting up on the job, like a customer comes in, hey, it's your, it's your responsibility to, to mitigate that situation, to handle it, right? You may not be the owner, but you have authority because you're submitted to that owner. You're on the job. You have that power. If you don't work there, you don't have that kind of authority. You can't step into that space. You can't tell somebody what to do. But if you are submitted to the authority, then you own that authority yourself. Funny story. I was, uh, my wife and I were seeing a movie. I don't remember which one. And it was years ago. And yes, I was in ministry. I was a pastor. This is going to make me sound really bad. But here we go. <laughs> we go to movies. And uh, there's lots of things that bug me about being in a movie theater, people talking all the time. And just, you know, it's just, I just, I just can't. Yeah, I really struggle. But one day we're coming out of the, the movies at Easton. And if you've ever been to the movie theater, the AMC theater at Easton, when you come out, there's like this long corridor and these little glass things that kind of separate like this, you know. And as I'm walking, I see ahead of me, people are leaving the theater, and there's two young men who are trying to get into the theater through that exit so that when it opens, you're watching them. They're booking it and running towards it to get in. And I, I looked at my wife. I was like, watch this. <laughs> so they're running around this corner hiding, watching, and we were the next ones to come through. And as soon as we came through, they start coming towards us to get through there. And I stopped them, and I reprimanded them. I was like, you two need to knock it off right now. <laughs> and do you know what they did? The first thing out of their mouths were, um, do, do you work here, sir? They were questioning my authority. They were questioning my authority. And I said, yes, I work here. I lied. It was so bad. <laughs> I was like, yes. And you guys need to get out of here. And they were like, you mean, like, leave Easton or just, like, here? <laughs> Get out of here before I call your parents. Boom, they took off and they were gone. <laughs> authority matters, right? They perceived I had authority, and so they yielded to my authority, and they went. Doesn't make me look good. I lied. I apologize for that. Uh, those young men, if you're here today or listening, I am sorry. James 4, submit yourselves then to God. Submit. Watch this. Resist the devil, and he will flee to you, free, flee from you. Notice this, that, that the, the resistance and the fleeing of the enemy comes only after you submit. We can submit ourselves to God every day. Resisting cannot happen until you submit to God's authority. You say, well, how does, what does that look like? Well, I'm going to tell you, when we say yes to Jesus, we are saying yes to his lordship. We are saying yes to his way of doing things and being committed to learning them, not perfection, but being, being committed to learning them, to being committed to going, okay, now how do I handle my relationships? Okay, now how do I handle my finances? Okay, how do I handle my thoughts? Jesus, what would you have me do in my family? What would you have me do in this situation? How should I be a better dad? How can I be a better spouse? Scripture speaks to all these things. And we step by step become more like Jesus. But let me tell you something that is shocking and staggering in today's Christianity culture is that we pray a prayer and we say yes to Jesus. But the very first thing he asks us to do is baptism. And we go, no, that's not for me. Well, I don't really understand it. Let me tell you something. Obedience does not require your understanding. Understanding will come on the other side of your obedience. And you say, well, it's silly. It doesn't make any sense to me. I don't understand what bad. You don't need to understand. You just need to obey. That's what Jesus being Lord of your life looks like. You say, Aaron, that's kind of rough what you're saying. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. He says, go make disciples and baptize them. It's the first thing he asks us to do. Is Jesus really Lord of your life if you're pushing against that? So 
So you're like, I'm going to sign up for baptism today. So you can fill out your Connect card. You can do it. Get baptized. Go, go through growth track. Find out why God has you here. Get committed. Get rooted into a community of believers. Join a grow group. Man, in a grow group is the place where my heart was transformed, where my life changed when I was far from God. It was a grow group. Get involved in a group. Get on, get on the dream team. Serve. Make a difference in people's lives. These are all steps you can take so that you can get fully on board for what God has for you. You can learn about it. Submit. Submit to all God has for you. Get under his covering. Get under his blessing. Because you can't sit here and complain about the enemy running amok in your life and running rampant if you won't submit to God's plan for your life. Just can't. Submit, resist, he flees. Second thing you can do every day. So you commit yourself to God. Second thing you can do is close any open doors. This is really simple, guys. This is really simple. There are doors that we are leaving open that allows the enemy to run amok in our lives. Absolutely. Close any doors. Some of you are allowing the enemy to, to run rampant in your life because of your attitudes, because of your choices, because of your relationships, because of your actions. You're leaving this crack in the door. We've got to work to close any doors that we're, be, that we're leaving open for the enemy. Let me show you something. In uh, 1 Corinthians, Paul, uh, he was writing to this church at Corinth, and they were struggling because there was a guy there that was sleeping with his dad's wife. And they were like, hey, this is immoral. We need to deal with this. And Paul's like, just remove him from the fellowship until he repents. And they're like, okay. So in, first, or in 2 Corinthians, they're, they're writing back. They wrote back to him. And they're like, what do we do now? He repented. And Paul's like, bring him back in. He, he, the goal was repentance. The goal was him turning back to the Lord. He did that. Go ahead and bring him back in. But they were having trouble restoring him. Sound relatable to anybody out there? People make mistakes. We have trouble letting them back in. But Jesus doesn't. Oh, anyway. Paul's trying to help him with next steps. He says, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, he said, Anyone you forgive, I also forgive. And what I've forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I've forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake. Watch this. In order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. One of his schemes is offense. One of his schemes is unforgiveness. That when we hold that, it leaves a door open for the enemy. Here's another one. So uh, in Ephesians 4, he says, in your anger, do not sin. Now, I've heard lots of pastors use this verse to beat people up for being angry. Let me tell you something. <laughs> anger is an emotion God created. You are not a sinner because you are angry. This verse says, be angry and don't sin. It says, feel that emotion. Work through that emotion, but don't sin. Don't let it be the source or the excuse for your sin. He says, do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Here again, I've heard pastors, me included, that said, well, if you and your spouse are fighting, don't go to bed angry. You better stay up all night and resolve it. How many times have we done that, babe? Plenty of times because we were honoring Scripture up until 2 or 3 in the morning, but dragging the next day like, oh, God, I feel like death. It's not what Scripture says. Scripture says, don't go to bed angry. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. This is to deal with the anger. Deal with the emotion. Talk to God about what you're angry about. Because let me tell you something. You go to bed angry, you will wake up angry. I've done that before. Go to bed just harumphing. Harumph. Just turn over and, you know, you're not getting any cuddles tonight. Leave me alone. And you know what happens when I go to bed barking like that? I wake up barking. 
And normally, if I'm up before her, I'll get up and I get up real quiet and I'll close the bathroom door before I turn on the light to be respectful. No way. If I went to bed angry, I'm getting up in the morning. I'm throwing myself out of that bed as hard as I can. My feet will hit the ground with a thud. I don't care. That light comes on and the door gets slammed. Wham! Bang! Make me angry before I go to bed. Don't judge me. You do it too. Some of you are like, that happened last night and this morning. You know exactly what I'm talking about. He says, but deal with your anger before you go to bed. Why? Because there's a foothold. If you end your day wrong, you start your day wrong. Deal with the anger. You don't have to resolve it. Just deal with the anger. Forgive. Let it go. We'll talk about it tomorrow. But unforgiveness and anger are cracks that, that leave, leave the door open for the enemy to come in. There's other ones. And you can ask God, hey, God, reveal these, things, these, these, these doorways that I'm leaving open. Is there any way that's in me that's offensive to you that's letting the enemy get in? Where am I leaving myself exposed? Search me. And some of you don't realize it, that the cracks in your life are the movies that you're watching. Oh, well, there's only just a few naked butts in it. It's fine. My marriage will survive it. Mm-hmm. Okay. See you in a few months. It's fine to listen to that music, even though it's denigrating to women. It's ter- it, it, it celebrates drug and, and party culture, and it's fine. It'll be, it probably won't bother me to hear that music and then to repeat it as I'm singing it over and over again, just kind of declaring that filth over my life. It won't affect me. I'm fine. The podcasts we listen to or the relationships we keep or the places we go, the activities we're involved in, the games we play. Listen, years ago, my kids came into the house, and I didn't see them, but I, I heard them come in, and they ran upstairs to their bedroom, and I felt something was off, and I looked at my wife. I said, you need to get up there right now, and she went up. She went upstairs, and she opened the door to my boy's room, and they had a friend who brought over a Ouija board. It is a Milton. Oh, some of you are like, ooh. Listen, it is a Milton Bradley game. It is, they were like, it's just a game. She said, get that out of my house now. It is not a game. Some of you playing games with the enemy, playing games with his toys. It, it's real. Your attitudes and your thoughts, Paul said this, have nothing to do with fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. Listen, I'm not telling you that you're going to go to hell for what you watch or what you listen to. What I'm telling you is that you're just spending your time inviting hell into your life. That's all you're doing. Got these open doors. So commit yourself to God, close any open doors, and then confront the enemy in prayer. Confront him. Doesn't need to be yelling. I do have one pastor friend who cusses the devil out. Like, that's fine. That's his place to do that. He's like, yeah, man, I just, just let him have it. It's the only place I do it. I'm like, that's awesome, bud. Good for you. Let him, let him go for it. It's cool. It's real awkward being in the room the first time he does it. First time you hear an F-bomb dropped in prayer, and it said aimed at the enemy. You're just like, yeah, that seems to fit. That's fine. That's a whole vibe. Some of you are like, that's what we're going to do, Aaron. You just gave us permission. I did not. I just told you a story. I just told you a story. But it doesn't have to be yelling. You don't have to cuss the devil out. It's not about your anger. That, 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 that This just has to be something that's active in your life. It has to be something that's active. Because here's the thing. You already have victory in Jesus' name. You already have it. 
So we're going to be on guard. We're going to be ready. We're going to confront the enemy. We're going to let him know that we know our rights and our authority in Christ. Peter told us in 1 Peter chapter 5, he said, Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Same kind of sufferings. Man, you can do this. You can commit yourself to God every day. You can close any, any open doors, and you can confront the enemy in prayer. This pray first guide will tell you exactly how to do it. But I'm telling you, there is something powerful that happens in you when you stand and confront the enemy, letting him know, I know whose I am, that you will not prosper against me, that no matter what you do, God is with me, and I will have his peace. And you may try to take my life, but I will live in eternity forever. Like Paul said, to be absent from the body is to be present with Christ. If I stay here, I win. If you take me out of this world, I win. That's the attitude. Let's go. When God is with you, who can be against you? This is what spiritual warfare is, guys. And you need to know your scriptures. You need to know what you can stand firm on as you confront the enemy. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for today. I'm praying for each and every single one of us in this place. Lord, we've, we've got some work to do. We've got a battle to engage in. This war has been waging around us, and for years other people have prayed for us and waged that battle for us. But, God, I believe it's time for us, every single one of us, to engage in this battle to begin winning the wars in our own lives. Not just talking to you, which we look forward to, but confronting the enemy, speaking the name of Jesus, pleading the blood, and speaking your word. Father, I pray this week that as we step into this space, even as we do so awkwardly because we're not really sure what we're doing and how to do it right, I pray that you would just encourage us in it, Lord. Maybe we'd be encouraged in our spirit as we begin to declare your truth, dispelling these strongholds from our lives. Right now, in Jesus' name, I speak to every stronghold, and I serve you notice, Satan, release your hold on their lives. Every area that you have had, my friends, bound, I rebuke you in Jesus' name. I plead the blood of Jesus over everyone under the sound of my voice, and I declare in Jesus' name, you have no right and no authority. In fact, the Bible says that if the, the thief be found, you must restore. And I command you to restore everything you have stolen from them in Jesus' name. I speak your peace in this room, Lord. I pray that faith would rise. And I pray that every hopeless heart would be restored, would find strength, and that hope would rise again. Lord, be with every single one of us in Jesus' name. Now, as I continue to pray in this place, there's those of you, and what you need most is a relationship with Jesus. You can't submit to God until you've entered into that relationship with him. The Bible tells us the way we do that is by placing our faith in Jesus, believing in our hearts, confessing with our mouth that he is Lord. And so today, if you're ready to make that commitment, if you're ready to take a step, if you're ready to make Jesus Lord of your life, committed to following after him, not committed to perfection, committed to his grace, committed to pursuit. If you're ready, I'm going to pray a prayer, and I'll give you the words to pray, but if you want to make that decision today, 
Would you just let me know? Would you just slip your hand up and say, Aaron, that's me today. I'm going to do that. Thank you. Thank you. I see your hands. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You can put your hands down. Church, everybody, let's pray together. Nobody prays by themselves. People are making decisions today. Say, Jesus, I need you. Forgive me of my sins and make me brand new. Fill me with your spirit and show me how to live for you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, the Bible, is ha- or the Bible says that heaven is having a party, and so are we. Come on, Simple Church, let them know that you're proud of them. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode. We hope it has given you hope and helped you know God a little bit more. The goal of this podcast is to reach beyond our walls and connect with people far from God. If you'd like to join us in doing that, there are several ways for you to get involved. First, you can pray for us as a church. Prayer is our first response and our greatest resource. Pray for opportunities that we can boldly step into, make a difference in our community and around the world as we proclaim the good news of Jesus. Second, share this episode on your social media accounts and directly with your friends. It's easy to do through whatever platform you're currently using to listen to this message. Just click share and follow the prompts. Finally, you can support the mission through your generosity. The best part about this is that it's also an act of worship where you express the priority of your love for God and others through your finances. Links to give are in the show notes or simply visit www.mysimple.church giving. We are so thankful you joined us today and hope you'll consider joining the mission of our church in some way. Thank you again and we'll see you at next week's episode.